Here we are, Exodus uh, chapter 40. What we're going to see tonight is, is uh, the tabernacle and the, all the various altars and tables and furnitures and so forth finally now coming together and being erected and really, in a, in a sense, the dedication of the tabernacle. And we for, for quite some time, um, we've been looking at the tabernacle, we've been looking at the role of Levitical priests, uh, their garments and so forth. And throughout it, we've just seen pictures of Jesus. Now, we're not going to go into all those details again tonight, because for a lot of this stuff, it's our third and fourth mentions of it. But let's go back, though, and, and kind of just quickly recap, um, you know, at the first mentions of it when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, and the Lord's giving him not only the Ten Commandments, but he's giving them various laws that fall under those Ten Commandments. And then he's giving uh, Moses instruction on the, uh, on the construction and the uh, building of the tabernacle here, which would eventually be replaced by the temple. And remember, these things were being written down and the direction was being given according to the heavenly tabernacle. And so this was a picture of the heavenly tabernacle. And indeed, there is a heavenly tabernacle, which is absolutely standing today. And remember, as we talk about the high priest who will go in and make intercession for the people, we know that our high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ, and praise God through his shed blood, uh, by grace through faith in him, we have access uh, to the, the throne room of God. Isn't that awesome? And uh, we're encouraged. We're encouraged to, to, to seek him daily. We're invited daily. I love it where it just as we can come boldly before him to attain help in our time in need to that throne of mercy. And uh, once again tonight, we'll be reminded of uh, the reason why we can come boldly. It's Jesus Christ because of his shed blood, because if we're in him, we're seen forgiven, we're seen watch, uh, washed. And so we can approach the living God through what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And outside of that, um, you know, we, we can't approach the Lord uh, in, uh, in, our, in our rebellion, in ourself, if we are not anchored in him and a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Moses did get that instruction, and then remember he came and he, he, he gave the instruction uh, to them and put the call upon the artisans and some uh, specific men with specific gifts to come and build those things. And then we actually saw them coming together and building those things, and it was a beautiful picture of the call of the people to come and supply all the materials for the building of the tabernacle and for uh, the, the garments and so forth. And we saw the amount of gold was somewhere around $20 million worth of gold and the silver, I mean, these outrageous numbers. But God had provided that for them when they left Egypt um, because they got back pay for the 400 years they were enslaved there. Remember, because the Lord instructed them to ask for, you know, a back pay and the Egyptians said, you can take whatever you want, just get out of here because we want to get these plagues off of our land. And so finally tonight, again, we will see this being erected and the furniture brought in. And we'll, we'll, I think we got about five different sections we're going to read and, and then we'll just stop and we'll talk about it and point out some things. So here we are. Let's read verse one down to verse eight and pick some things out of here. And again, if you haven't been with this and if you're like, oh, what's the lampstand? What are the lamps about? What is, what's the ark about? All this is archived online. All these teachings are on there. Uh, and we go into great detail with all of this stuff. We're not going to do that tonight because, again, we'll just be rehashing it. So in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, 
you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put in, put in it the ark of the testimony and, the parti- and partition off the ark with the veil. And you shall bring in the table, arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. You shall also set up the court all around and hang up the screen up on the court gate. Now notice here, he says, I want this to be erected. I want it to be dedicated on the first day of the first month. And absolutely, it is a picture of the call in our lives to put the Lord first. To put him first the first day of the week, which would be, you know, and I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, you have to have church on Sunday. I think it's traditional, but whether you, you know, are, are can just come to a midweek or, or whatever it is, it's the picture of the first day of the week, which is Sunday, saying, listen, I want to serve the Lord uh, on this first day of the first week, but more so, I want, to set it, I want it to set the tone for every day of the week. When I get up in the morning, whenever that is, you know what, I want to start the day with putting the Lord first, with putting my eyes upon Him. I know some folks, they have more time in the morning to perhaps spend time in a devotion and in prayer and so forth. And uh, let's face it, there's some days when uh, there's such pressing needs that you're pressed to get right out the door. But even if that's the case, we still want to acknowledge Him. We still want to ask Him to go before us throughout that day because really our, our devotions and our time with Him shouldn't just be a set time where, you know, it, it's just, okay, I did my thing now I, with the Lord, now I go do my own thing. Absolutely, we want to have that quiet time, so to speak, with Him. But really, throughout the day, we want to be seeking Him. Throughout the day, you know what, we want to walk with Him. We want to consider Him. We want to integrate uh, the Word of Truth and our walk with Jesus Christ in everything that we do. Um, We don't want to get into a place where we put Jesus into a compartment. And I think a lot of people have fallen into that thinking today where they have different parts of their life and You know, they have their part of the life that is their Christian part that Jesus is in and their Bible study. And you know what, when they're doing Christian things or when it's time for their devotions, you know, they open the door and they bring Jesus out. And then over here, you know what, they got other aspects of their life. And this part is their workplace. And you know what, well, Jesus, you can't come into the workplace. And, you know, I do my own thing over here. And then sometimes it even moves into this is my party life over here. And you know what, this is, you know, where I really do what I want to do. And then up here, you know, we kind of got our family life and all these different compartments. And I think this is how a lot of people nowadays, you know, really that name the name of Christ, try to justify unholy living. We're not talking about legalistic living. We're not talking about man-made rules that we judge others by, but we have a call to holy living. And throughout the, you know, mention of the tabernacle and all this stuff, we see this call for holiness. And I just really want to encourage you, if you've been living a life where you have a compartment for Jesus, and you put him in that, and you don't open the doors for him to reign over all of your life, and let the word of God reign over all of your life, you're missing out. Because absolutely, God has called us to put him first in everything, and him for him to rule over 
all aspects and in our thinking and in our approach. And you know what? As we look at things unfolding in the world, we want to open up the word of God. And absolutely, we want to look at these things in light of scripture. But I think so many folks do that and fall in that trap. A lot of people are perplexing how, you know, on one hand, they say they're evangelical and they're biblical and so forth. And then when it can, again comes to other areas, maybe they're, uh, you know, they're, they're pro-choice. Um, you know, they're, they're, they, they think abortion's fine. And you're like, how can you conclude that with everything the scripture says about, you know, life, uh, God knowing us before we were knit in our mother's wombs. And John the Baptist leaping when, you know what, uh, in his mother's womb, when Mary came with Jesus in her womb and all these proclamations and so forth. And I think folks can do that because, well, because I got my Jesus box over here and then I got my political view box over here. And then others, perhaps, in their lifestyle, you know, uh, practicing full-on immoral things and promoting them, and, and yet the Word of God, you know, calls us to refrain from that, not, not to spoil our lives and spoil our time, but for our benefit. And, and, you know, they're doing this fully over here and justifying it because, again, they have their, their moral a compass kind of box over here and Jesus stays out of that but you know then they come over here and they acknowledge the Lord and they they have all these different compartments and uh, we don't want to do that listen the Lord wants to be first the first of the first day of the first month and first in everything we do and ruling over everything that we do everything that we should do we should take our thoughts captive through well, what's God's word say about this what would the Lord have me to do in this and not put him in a compartment or have a shelf where we have all this different stuff. And oh yeah, Jesus is down here as well. Listen, he's, he's our Lord, amen. And if it's our Lord, it means he reigns over our whole life. When you ask him to be the Lord of your life, it wasn't, okay, just when I'm doing my church Jesus thing, Lord of your life means he's the Lord of everything. You know, he's the Lord in, 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 of my life when I go to the grocery store, uh, go to the bank, go to the post office, went to both those places today, hadn't been there in a long time. Uh, the lines weren't long, so I praised them all the more in the place. But, you know, no matter where I am, in interacting with others and so forth. And, and again, life's found in that. We're going to a minute here talking about the Shekinah glory. Uh, you know, walking in fellowship with him. So again, it's not by mistake that on the first day of the first month, they would, they would set this up. And then there are several references in the verses we just read and throughout this of setting it in order. And absolutely, our God is a God of order. He is a, a, a God of, 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 a, of, of a plan. He is a God of structure. Um, you know, though, there's times when we want him to follow our plan, and praise God, he doesn't, so we think it's disorder. But absolutely, he is a God of order and a God of of uh, instruction and all this instruction have been given for them now to put the plan of God uh, in order and we see it throughout the tabernacle and we need to know in our own lives absolutely God wants there to be order in our lives now sometimes life gets a little more chaotic than other times um, and I don't think that's necessarily has to be because uh, you know we're, we're we're not walking in God's uh, counsel. I mean, there's sometimes when it's just crazy. I mean, this past weekend, I mean, we were just going a mile a minute from one thing to another, but there was a sense of order in it. There was a sense of instruction in it as we were, 
you know, trying to follow God's mandates for the various different things we were involved in. And there's going to be certain times when, again, our lives, um, you know, get a little chaotic and whatnot. And that, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, is the order in our life, kind of what we just presented or just talked about with not putting Jesus in a compartment, but having the Lord reign over everything that we do so that in our approach to life and how we're living, we're looking to the Lord and absolutely, as he gave him instruction for the tabernacle, there's instruction for us so that, you know what, the things that are important, we know what God would have us to walk in and as we walk in those things, there's going to be order. There's going to be a lot more order if, if you're in a place where you're putting the Lord first in your life, again, uh, in, your, in, in your sexuality. There's going to be a lot more order in your life if you're refraining from, you know what, partaking of things that are going to alter your mindset. There's going to be a lot more order in your life if you're putting God first in your finances and so forth versus hoarding things up and being money hungry and power hungry and so forth. I mean, there's going to be a lot more order in your friendships and so forth if you're approaching them through the eyes of the Lord, being long-suffering with others. Uh, being gracious towards others, being forgiving towards others versus maybe getting angry or holding grudges and so forth, uh, even going to others and trying to minister to them versus just ignoring them across the board. He wants order in our lives, and absolutely, as there was order in the tabernacle, he wants it in the church. Uh, a few years back, we looked at First and Second Corinthians here on Wednesday night, and we saw a church that lacked order. We saw the lacked order in their lives, the lacked order in their services, it was a free-for-all, and God took about three chapters to really show them how he wanted their services function. And there in 1 Corinthians fourteen forty, we hear that cry. It says, let all things be done decently and in order. And then I love Colossians 2, 5. He says, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I'm with you in spirit. And then Paul wrote, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So there is a rejoicing that comes with that good order. The Lord rejoices in that. And absolutely, we should rejoice in that as well when we seek after him and chaos is replaced with order. I think we should rejoice when, you know what, we see things and it's our prayer and our own fellowship here, fellowship here that are orderly. Uh, you know what, I, I rejoice, I praise the Lord, uh, you know, Friday night when we had the harvest party out here and just, just a lot of folks came out once again, and what an orderly night. Um, you know, and, and that doesn't mean God was in a box somewhere because we were doing things orderly. You know, and that's how some people equate this. Unless things are really chaotic and crazy and weird stuff's happening, well, God's not there. No, it was orderly. Things were set up orderly. Things were cleaned up orderly. People were orderly in the different things they oversaw, and the Lord was moving. I mean, a lot of people got ministered to. Uh, a lot of people were blessed. Uh, I shared on Sunday morning. Uh, you know what? We, we only had one uh, incident with a neighbor. And everyone kind of went, oh, you know, if anyone kind of knows some of the history. And I said, it was a guy from down the street who brought his daughter and said, she's been begging me to bring her down here because we could hear all the noise. And they came in and they, they hung out for a few hours and were ministered to and partook. And uh, it, was, it was orderly, in, even in that sense. So, um, you know what, let's rejoice when we see that good order. And notice here, he talks about the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Again, as we're steadfast in the Lord. 
as the Lord is part of all of our life, not just in some compartment somewhere, as we're looking to him in our friendships and relationships and our dealings and our struggles and so forth, there's going to be an order that's going to come when you're bringing those things before him in prayer, when you're in the word of God, when you're getting godly counsel that's coming from the scriptures and so forth, and it's a glorious thing. Quickly, the opposite though, 1 Corinthians 14.33, for God is not the author of confusion but of peace as it is in the churches of the saints. And then in James 3.14 it says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This is pretty heavy here. It says this wisdom does not descend from above but is earthly, sensual, and demonic for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. I mean, we're talking about demonic there, confusion there, every evil thing. Notice here, when we're seeking ourself versus seeking the Lord. When we're saying, okay, in this area, again, Jesus, you're in the box, and over here, I'm going to seek what I want, what I feel, there's going to be confusion there. There's going to be disorder there. There's going to be instruction that absolutely uh, is, is demonic, it's earthly, it's sensual. Because we're not going to be being led by the Lord, by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God. What's sensual mean? It means we're led by our five senses. What feels good? What smells good? What sounds good? What tastes good? What, what, I'm missing one of them. Smells good. I may, may have repeated that one twice. But, you know, see, what's, what looks good? Yeah, that's probably the worst, the, the, the one that stumbles us the most, being led by our eye and so forth. And if we're just going to be led by our five senses, and again, this, this world we're living in, it's, it's trying to train our kids, be led by your five senses. You know, what you feel, right? H- how you think. It doesn't matter what the facts are, it's what you feel. And what you feel, for so many people, over- override what the facts are. And then even how much more tragic versus, you know, what the real truth is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we want to run around, just be led by our senses, there is going to be confusion. There is going to be demonic uh, influence. Um, you know, we want to shun the Lord, uh, we want to shun the Holy Spirit, then another spirit absolutely is going to want to come in and bring counsel and influence and so forth. And we are living uh, very much in a spiritual warfare. It rages all around us. Now notice verse 9 and 11. And again, the instruction was given here to set the tabernacle in order, to put the furniture in order, to put the things on the table and so forth in order. And then in verse 9 he says, And you shall take the anointing oil... And anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it, and you should hallow it, and all its utensils, and it shall be holy. And you shall anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar, and the altar shall be most holy. And you shall anoint the lavar and its base, and consecrate it. And so to hallow something, to consecrate it, 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 it is the picture of setting apart, setting it apart to make it holy. It would, it's a picture of cleansing these things. And this is more, more so, it, it's a combination of dedicating it to the Lord with the oil. And we saw instruction on this anointing oil that was made. It was made of, of a very uh, expensive uh, products and so forth that was brought together. And absolutely part of it was a symbolism of we're going to put an oil on it to commit it to the Lord. Uh, we know throughout Scripture uh, oil is very much compared to the work of the Spirit of God, the anointing of the Spirit of God, 
in our life. I think of James where it talks about those that are sick, they should come to the elders and be anointed with oil and prayed for. And that's in part a picture of just a point of faith on our behalf to say, you know, Lord, we're praying you would just touch our brother or sister. We, we want to consecrate them to you. We want to set them apart to you. It's interesting that also there in James speaks of a medical term of, of treating them with medicine. And absolutely, the Bible's not against that. Some people think it is, but the Lord used a doctor to write two books of the Bible. So I, I, I don't think he had issue with Dr. Luke and his practice. But it's a picture, though, of practically ministering to someone. And there's some people that think, you know what, if I go and I go to a doctor, it means I'm not exercising faith. And so I can't do that. And no, you're exercising wisdom. We want to seek him first, anoint us with oil, acknowledging again, I want to be set apart for the Lord. And then I want to understand as well that call to go to a physician to get wisdom. And it's the same with this anointing oil. In part, it was a, a, a hallowing, a consecrating of of, of the utensils and so forth that would be in the hands of men to say, Lord, we want to acknowledge we need you in this ministry. And though these things are in our hands, ultimately we want them to be in your hands and we want your will to be done. But it as well was a practical thing because with this anointing oil, there would be a cleansing. It was a practical cleansing agent because in the tabernacle and so forth, there were a lot of sacrifices that were made. They were going on daily. People would bring sacrifice for their sin. There would be the sacrifice that the, the Levitical priest would do continually for the people. There would be the yearly sacrifice and so forth. And life is in the blood. And you're talking about uh, a, a situation and a place that could get very unsanitary very, very, very quickly. And so they had a call to keep things clean, to keep things orderly, to cleanse these utensils and so forth to, to, again, uh, to, to put them in a place where there wasn't a spread of disease and so forth. And I've talked about this many times. It's amazing in the scripture. Uh, it's one of those evidences that God's word is absolutely pinned by his finger in a holy book. Because if you get back here in Exodus, and we'll see this throughout Leviticus, there's so much instruction that was given to them in regards to microbiology. They were to wash their hands in water, that flowed, the way they were supposed to cleanse, you know what, the different utensils, the fact that they weren't, they weren't to touch dead bodies, and if they did, they would have to be set outside of the camp, you know, for a certain season. Even some of the instruction that they had back then, as far as women and their menstrual cycle, and, 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 you know, if they had to go to the restroom, they took a shovel and they dug a hole, and then they buried it. And we look at this and we're like, of course, but it was up till very recent history where, you know what, there's plagues that spread across different nations and, and different continents that killed millions and millions of people. I think it's the Black, the black Plague where millions of folks died and the, it was the product of them washing their hands in still water. And, and, and the virus just spread versus if, if they just would wash it in running water. And, uh, you know, I've talked to you before about in the same time, some of the writings in Egypt where it had to do with a wound and so forth that, you know, they were to wash out and instruction and such is given in the scripture. And then you look in the Egyptian writings, they would instruct people if you had a wound to take feces, pack it in and to sew it up. 
And there you see demonic influence. Where you look at God's word and you're blown away. God who created this all understood microbiology. Understood where in Colossians it talks about, you know what, things being made up really of things that our eye cannot see. And all this instruction given, and it was part given to them to set them apart, to keep them flourishing, and to ready Israel to bring that, be that nation that brought forth the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. A couple other things here just with cleansing, you know, praise God for the shed blood of Jesus, because without that, and we've already touched on it a bit, um, you know, at our righteousness as a filthy rags, uh, righteousness being right standing with God, we don't have that. But praise God, Jesus lived that sinless life, and he shed his blood, and we know life is in the blood. We know if you don't have blood, you don't have life. And again, the scripture declares life's in the blood, and just side note how many, you know, ancient civilizations thought, well, we'll heal someone, we'll have them bleed out, you know, and then, oh, well, I guess that didn't work. Bring him the next guy. Let's have them bleed out. Life's in the blood, and when the Bible talks about the blood of Christ, it's talking about the life of Christ. And tonight, if you want, to get, you want to get cleansed of your sin, you want to be in right standing with God, there's only one way you're going to find that is through faith in Jesus Christ because we can't cleanse ourselves of our sin. First, uh, Revelation 1.4, it says, John, uh, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and praise God who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and rule over the kings of the earth, to him, notice here, who loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. Is that beautiful? Positionally, we're right with him through Jesus' laying down of his life. We're washed by his life. And then the scripture in Ephesians, and I'm not going to read it, but Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, it talks about us being washed by the word of God. And you know what? I found in my life, in, in my study, in my walk with the Lord, yes, I want to get in God's word. I want to study God's word. I want to learn from God's word. But there's also just something that happens when you just get in God's word and, and you read it and you take it in. It just washes you. I, mean, I don't know how many times when maybe I've been wrestling with something or struggling with something or just, you know, just, just ashamed maybe of my behavior concerning something and you know, come before the Lord and ask him to wash me or, to, you know, to practically forgive me and so forth. And I know that he does. Uh, but then, you know, you open the word and you get it and it just kind of starts washing and renewing your mind. Um, you know, so, sometimes with all the entertainment we have, uh, it's easy to go on a little bit of a show binge. Not that any of us have ever done that, right? And you're like, oh, I'll watch an episode of this. And next thing you know, you watch four or five. And again, we're, we're not legalistic and you know, we, we, all things are lawful and the Lord does not all profitable. But listen, sometimes you do that and by the end you're like, it's kind of like eating too much candy. Your soul feels sick, you know. And if, have you ever just said, I'm just going to get in the Word. You read two, three, four chapters and you just kind of, you, you just kind of get washed by it. You kind of get cleansed by it. it. It's true. There's a washing that comes from the Word of God. And it's just another reason to, to get into the Scriptures. And we're going to talk a lot of the reasons to get in the Word of God this weekend, Lord willing. Now quickly here, 12 down through 15, he says, Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of the meeting and wash them with water. And you shall put the holy garment on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. And you shall anoint them as you anointed their father. And notice here the same call that they may minister to me as priest for their anointing oil 
shall, sure, shall, uh, shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. And just as they were to erect this tabernacle the first day of the first month, and it was to be the Lord first in their ministry. We talked a lot about this through Exodus, and we'll get into more of it in Leviticus. We got to remember that our ministry always is first and foremost to the Lord. I know we don't think that way oftentimes because he is our high priest and the Lord ministers to us. But first and foremost, we're called to minister to him, to live our lives for him, to honor him. I know when I come up here to preach, I, I, I want to use the gifts God's given to me and open the word and minister to you. But above that, I want to minister to the Lord. And that's why I, I take the call seriously to be in this pulpit because I know if I'm fudging the book, so to speak, if I'm just speaking to try to appease people, if I'm like, well, we're not going to really talk about that because that's going to offend people and so forth, God's not being ministered to. God's not being worshipped. And my first call is to minister to him, and I'm going to give an account to him first and foremost. And it's the same true in all of our lives and all the things that God has called us to. Well, just as the utensils needed to be consecrated, these men needed to be as well uh, for both reasons. Outwardly, uh, again, uh, the Lord did not want them to bring contaminants into the tabernacle. Uh, you know, back in those days, it, it was even more so, uh, um, you know, even, even amongst the Israelites and all their different practices that made their camps so, and such a lot more clean. Uh, you know, the, there, there were still a lot of things that they could track in there to the tabernacle. You know, a, a lot of stuff that could contaminate those sacrifices because those sacrifices weren't you know just done uh and and a disregard to the carcasses and so forth they ate that food it was very practical there's order the lord didn't have them just have these sacrifices and pile up dead carcasses those things would be eaten and so there needed to be cleanliness there so they would need to wash up and so forth lest they track in something that you do not want to eat and we'll just leave it at that and then spiritually as well, it was a call for them to be cleansed. Um, you know, in, in the outward washing, it was a reminder to them of, look, I've got to make sure my heart's right with the Lord. Uh, that high priest, when he would go before the Lord once a year, in there to the Holy of Holies, where the, the Ark of the Covenant was and the mercy seat, he was going to come face to face, so to speak, with God Almighty. I mean, he knew he needed to come in with a clean heart, uh, before the Lord. And we'll come back to this here in a second when we look at the Shekinah glory and kind of make some applications to us. But quickly here, let's read 16 down through 32, and we get a lot of reiteration into this. And then we'll close with uh, 34 through 38 and just look at the glory that came down on the tabernacle. It says, Thus Moses did according to all the Lord had commanded him, so he did. And we see that did word again. God gave instruction, then they went out and did it. We get instruction. The Lord doesn't want us just to be hearers, but to be doers of the word. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put, up, put in its bars, and raised up its pillars. And he spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on the top of it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark, inserted the poles through the rings of the ark, and put the mercy seat on top of that ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering, partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the table in the tabernacle of meeting 
on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. And he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. And he put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle. And he lit the lamps before the Lord. Notice again, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in the front of the veil. And he burned sweet incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he hung up the, seven, the screen at the door of the tabernacle. And he put the altar of burnt offerings before the door of the tabernacle, the tent meeting. And he offered upon it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he set the lavar between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses, Aaron, and his sons would wash their hands and their feet from the water within it. Whenever they went in the tabernacle of meeting and when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle, the altar, and hung up the screens of the open court so Moses finished the work. And again, we see the pattern. He did, and how did he do it? As the Lord had commanded. Again, he wasn't led by his senses. He didn't get in there and go, well, you know what? I know the Lord said this, but I really feel that the table should be over here. Visually, I'm not really, you know, getting a... Uh, feng shui thing going on over here let's move the lavar over here oh that feels much better you know no he did it as the lord commanded him and then finally here uh again those sacrifices were brought in and then notice 34 through 38 then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and this is beautiful and the glory of the lord filled the tabernacle and moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and a fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And so they stepped out in faith, They did as the Lord instructed them to do. And what happened? The Shekinah glory of the Lord filled the temple. It was a picture of God's blessing on them. It was a picture of communion with the Lord. It was a picture of the fact they had covenant with God. And absolutely, practically, it directed and guided their life. That's pretty simple, right? If the fire, you know what, moves, it's time to pack up the tabernacle and move. If it's in the day, if the cloud moves, hey, we're moving out. Man, makes it pretty easy to know, are we where where God wants us to be? You know, how nice if just you saw the cloud or the fire, right? And you knew, okay, yeah, we're where we're supposed to be. Well, many years would go by, you know, they, they would finally go into the promised land. And in the day of Eli, the priest, the high priest, things got very, very ugly. There was great rebellion in the land. They looked at the Ark of the Covenant more as a military weapon that would give them luck against the Philistines. Eli, the high priest's sons, were stealing the, uh, the, the, the offerings that were brought forth and eating the best parts. It says as well, his sons that were in the priesthood would go out and lie with the women who would come to worship the Lord. And Eli, the priest, instead of putting his sons in check and bringing order, you know, he says to him, oh, no, my sons, as they just continue to do what they did. And finally came to a point where there was an implosion there amongst the Israelites. And in 1 Samuel 4.21, uh, as one of um, 
uh, Eli's sons was having a child, and it was about the same time that Eli, it says he fell back on his chair and broke his neck, she declared uh, the glory of the, the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband, and she said the glory has departed from Israel, the ark of God has been captured. And it was a declaration of Ichabod, the glory of God has left. And as they were doing what God called them to do, and really it was a picture of them walking by faith, the glory of the Lord was there. But when they again started being led by their senses and started practicing the pagan practices and so forth, listen, it was a great detriment to them. And then there was a declaration, where's the glory of God? Really, they had driven it out because of their choices. And really, they had set up a barrier, so to speak, that kept the glory of God from shining upon them. It wasn't that the Lord wanted to meet them where they were at, but they were saying, no, God, we got this. We're going to be led by our own senses and so forth. Later on, though, the Lord would uh, give David a vision for the tabernacle. And Solomon, his son, would build the tabernacle. And in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 11, they would dedicate the temple. And it says, the glory of the Lord once again filled the house of the Lord. They were in a place again where they were walking in obedience. They were doing things the way that God had called them to do those things. And the Shekinah glory filled. But listen, again, generations would pass. The Israelites, the, the, you know, the, those in Judea would slowly start to conform to the pagan practices around them. Idolatry, um, you know, just giving God uh, lip service, um, all the various you know, practices and so forth that were outside of the call of the Lord. And in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18, again, it talks about the glory of the Lord then departed. And God was very patient. Listen, th- th- these weren't things that just immediately happened. Hundreds of years of time went by and God sending prophets and warning and so forth. But praise God, listen, the glory of the Lord will once again return to the temple in a different manner, but it would return once again through the person of Jesus Christ. Later on, and we're, we're moving forward, and it says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14 of John 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld, notice here, His glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. And absolutely, the Lord walked in the Shekinah glory of God Almighty everywhere He went. We know that He laid down His life. We know He rose from the grave. We know He ascended to heaven and this is where we are today. Well, where's the temple of God today? And where does God want to pour out his Shekinah glory today? And uh, listen, the answer isn't Jerusalem. We know that there will be a tribulation temple erected, but the glory of God will not fill that temple. It will not be during, until the millennial rule of Christ that so that will happen. Listen, you want to know where the temple of God is? It's right here. I'm not talking about this building. We're not talking about 6955 Portola Road and Atascadero, Podunk, California, but in you as a follower of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? He's talking to believers here. He's not talking to unbelievers, the Holy Spirit who is in you. 
whom you have from God and you are not your own. Notice here, for you were bought with the price, and hear this, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. We're saved by grace through faith, amen? Through what the Lord has done. We put our trust in him, he forgives us of our sins, he seals us with the Holy Spirit of God. And then daily he calls us to walk with him. You can't do that if Jesus is in a locker over here that you open it up and you let him out for a little bit when you're at church, whatever. He should be over all those compartments. He wants us to walk in our Christianity, walk in the instruction. And absolutely, he wants to strengthen us all along the way. Just as that fire was before them in that cloud, God wants to be active in our life, moving and so forth, uh, encouraging us. Listen, there's a big difference between you know what, a, a, a stumble versus, you know what, committing or practicing sex, sexual immorality, willfully setting up sin and so forth, seeking it out. And if you are a follower of the Lord, he'll chastise you in that and praise God he corrects us. But this is a call to know where we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So God wants us to glorify him in our life. And that Shekinah is there when we're yielded to him. When we're saying, yes, Lord, I, I do want to walk in you. I, I, I do want to walk in your word. I want to be a man of prayer or a woman of prayer, a man of worship, a woman of worship. I want, to, I want to walk with you. I want to abound in you. But let me tell you, when we have unconfessed sin, when we want to practice sin willfully, we want to make provision for it, we hide it in our heart and so forth versus wrestling with it and being real with God, We've set up that barrier then that, that grieves the work of the Spirit of God and absolutely prevents that shining, kind of glory to shine. Now, if someone's really born again, does that mean they lose their salvation? No. But I'm going to tell you what they are going to lose. They're going to lose their peace. Why should, what, you, God's not going to give peace in our life if we are shunning him and walking in sin. We're going to lose our joy. We're going to lose our spiritual unction and power. And we're going to lose that ability to really hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Because we are walling off, again, the work of the Spirit of God. We are grieving the Spirit of God. Ephesians 4.25, we're almost done here, down to 32. It says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Notice here, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Talked about the demonic earlier. Again, give place to the devil. He's talking to Christians here. Let them who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That's what the Shekinah glory was, the Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Now listen, we know we're in a process of sanctification and growing. There's going to be times we get angry or whatever, but it says don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let sin well up and dwell and don't be in, this is a call not to be practicing these things and so forth. And it's a call that, you know what, when we see we're, we're, we're falling short practically, 
We don't make an excuse for it. Well, I felt that way or I want to. No, we bring it to him. I mean, part of going to the throne of grace is to obtain help in our time and need. And God is blessed with that. But if we just say, hey, I want to follow my five senses. I want to put Jesus and the word of God in this compartment. And, and when I'm doing the church thing, when it's time to do the, when my Jesus friends come over, I'll let them out. But then, you know, back there in the other 22 hours of the day, I do what I want when I want to do it according to my five senses and I don't take anything captive to the word of God. That Shekinah glory is going to get cut off from your life along with your peace, your joy, your power, your ability to hear, and who knows what else. You see the pattern throughout the scripture. Don't grieve the spirit of God. Again, if you're in the place where you're like, man, there's all kinds of things there, then humble your heart before him tonight. The scripture says that we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we're real with him about this stuff, he is wanting to pour out that Shekinah glory in our life. But he knows when we are being genuine with him and when we're not. We can fool one another, but we can't fool him. So I encourage you to take that and to consider it and know the Lord loves you immensely and he's wanting to be active in your life. And when he's not, that's not on him. It's on us. And so we need to take inventory and go, okay, are we walking in the Shekinah or has Ichabod set in? Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you for our time here. We thank you for time in your word. Lord, we thank you, God, that God, we could just gather here tonight, Lord, and Lord, we absolutely want to walk in the glory of the Lord and fellowship with you and that peace and that joy and God, that unction of the Spirit of God and so forth that God are available to us. And God, I would just pray that tonight, God, you would forgive me and collectively, Lord, forgive us, Lord, where we have grieved the work of the Spirit of God and grant us grace and mercy in these things, God. I want to pray, Lord, if we are facilitating willful rebellion we bring it before you and lord at the same time lord those things we're wrestling with we bring those before you as well and lord i know that god it was esau who god practiced his five senses and with him you were not pleased jacob even in his wrestlings and his wrestlings with you he was before you and god trying to work things out and we you know indeed god that the blessing of the lord rested upon him listen as we close in prayer we've talked about calling on the lord if he's not your lord and savior Listen, I can't encourage you enough to do business with him tonight out of a sincere heart. Humble your heart and ask him to be the Lord of your life, to wash you, to cleanse you, and he will. Now in doing that, you're again asking him, you know what, to rule over all of your life. And if you're asking him to be your Lord, then it means you are turning from whatever is your Lord. And you're asking him to govern your life and meet him where you're at, to meet you where you're at, and he will. He absolutely will. And so, God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you for the study we've had in Exodus. And just go before us moving forward. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, the kids will, will, are, are going to be in their classrooms for another, you know, eight, ten minutes. If you need to get going, you can get your child because they're done with their lesson. lesson. But I really encourage you to consider at least sticking around for just a bit and praying and, and praying with someone or, or just on your own. And uh, just God bless you and pray you have a wonderful night in the Lord.